Really appreciate his time here today with uh, a lot going on here in uh, Syracuse and Central New York. He is the mayor of Syracuse, New York. Ben Walsh is with us here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Mr. Mayor, thanks for the time. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Brent. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Boy, a lot to go through, uh, Mr. Mayor. It was quite a weekend here. And and what I want to start with with you there is it seemed like what happened on Saturday versus what happened on Sunday were almost two different worlds. And I think we learned from what happened on Saturday into Sunday. And I just wanted to ask you that. What was Saturday like with the protests and everything that happened versus what we saw maybe yesterday? Well, what the two days had in common is that the the vast majority of the protests were peaceful, and uh, and that's significant. You know, we, you, we're all watching what's happening across the country, and we're all very troubled by it. Uh, but for two days straight, uh, we had hundreds of protesters in the city of Syracuse uh, that were doing so peacefully. Uh, obviously, Saturday night and early Sunday morning, um, that that changed. Uh, and to your point, I think we did learn from it. We spent a lot of Sunday uh, talking with people. Uh, I was down uh, in the middle of the protest with Chief Buckner and Deputy Mayor Owens, and we, we spoke to them and we listened. Uh, we spent time with clergy on Sunday. So, yeah, I'd like to think that some of those conversations uh, heading into Sunday night uh, certainly uh, helped uh, produce a different outcome. So for those that don't know, uh, the curfew has been lifted in both Onondaga County and in the city of Syracuse, uh, hopefully uh, for good, and we don't have to go back there. But take me through that process and in deciding to put it in a curfew, what goes into that, and then uh, lifting it uh, for tonight, which it, it appears to be a an encouraging sign. Yeah, I did not take that decision lightly. Anytime you're taking away people's liberty, that's uh, that's heavy. And and uh, as as Saturday night transpired, and it it got uh, increasingly uh, worrying. Uh, I I, um, I we had really from the time the protest had started, uh, and even before then, I had asked Corporation Council just to to dust off our uh, emergency powers, just so I knew what resources were uh, in, uh, were available to me. And uh, as it started to intensify, I, I reached out to the chief, who I spent a lot of time with this weekend, and I asked him, I said, could this be helpful uh, to, to keep people safe? And he said, yes. And that was really, that was really about it. So uh, Corp Council drafted it up. I was, um, I was out at uh, Patrol East um, because we, we weren't sure it was safe to be in, in City Hall. Uh, so I went out to the patrol, police department's Patrol East on Erie Boulevard. I uh, got on a computer out there. We, we um, got it printed out, signed it, and, and that was that. But again, it was really just meant to uh, to keep people safe, those that were out on the street and those that uh, you know that that weren't. And um, again, I think it was just one of many factors that that helped us uh, end up with a good outcome last night. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, in the midst of everything, uh, we saw this across the country too, Mr. Mayor. But it happened here as well, and we had a, a photojournalist who I know, who I work with over at Syracuse.com. Full disclosure, and Dennis Nett, who appeared to be pushed down by a Syracuse police officer. There's video of it. That story is up on Syracuse.com. People can watch that video. Uh, how is the city handling that and, and looking into that incident? Yeah, I was made aware of that video uh, um, just earlier today. Uh, I, I know Dennis. I, I respect his work, and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I feel bad for him. Um, that's a, um, you know, that was a very intense situation. Um, uh, emotions were obviously running high, but he was just doing his job, and 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 so um, you know, I, it's hard for me to put my uh, put myself in um, in the head of the the officer, and and uh, so that's why there's a process for this 
type of situation. Uh, so, you know, Chief Buckner is uh, is uh, undertaking that review process. Uh, I'm going to listen to his perspective on it when he's ready, and, and then I'll be prepared to share mine. But, um, uh, again, uh, just you know, based on what I know, I, I, I feel bad for, for Dennis, and uh, I wish him the best. Yeah, we'll see what comes of that. Uh, again, I'm, I'm biased in knowing Dennis and working with him, but he is a consummate professional and would not put himself in a situation to impede what an officer was doing or act unprofessionally in any way. He's one of the most professional people in, in any business that I know, frankly. So I'd agree with we'll that. We'll see what, right. what comes of that, and you know that that is that. Now, on that note, you did note this weekend that it's been interesting to see the role of journalists. These are dangerous situations they're going into, but they've got to be there to tell that story. And I know that's something that that you encourage and, and you know the importance of journalists being able to do their job. No doubt about it. I I said it uh, just uh, recently in my briefing yesterday. Uh, the role of the media has never been more important. Uh, even before the, the protests this weekend, the, the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, what I've learned in this process is people are desperate for good factual information that they can use to inform their decisions. And, and having uh, good journalists and good local journalism that's focused on the issues that are most important to you is critically important. Uh, so that's something that uh, I'm certainly uh, appreciative that we have here. And even as it relates to the police department, you know, we, we undertook a national search for a police chief, and there was a lot of criteria that we uh, analyzed when making that decision. And part of Part of that was making sure that the chief and I philosophically agreed on how we would deal with the media. Um, uh, some law enforcement agencies can be known to, to not uh, be very media friendly, um, but I, when I came into this office and when Chief Buckner came into his office, we both came in with a commitment to be as open and transparent and, and as accessible to the media as possible. Uh, we're, we're still learning as we go, but I think uh, by and large we've been able to do that. Mayor Walsh is our guest here, and uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, I think a lot of people are looking at these situations, and a lot of emotions are spilling out, as, as we mentioned here, but I think a lot of us are also starting to say, what can I do about this? How can I help in this situation? I guess there's a lot of answers to that question. You can volunteer, you can engage certain groups and organizations that, that address racial issues and things in, 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 this, in this city and in this community, but... I guess I'm going to ask the question anyway. What what can we do about this, and, and how can we help? Yeah, I think everyone needs to reflect on uh, what their position is, uh, what their role is uh, in uh, in this important topic, and uh, where where they have it to use their their platform uh, and their privilege to uh, uh, to speak out against uh, against racism, against uh, the. Uh, the lack of equity and equality um, in in our country, especially as it relates to com- uh, communities in color, uh, uh, of color, I would say you know for people that um, you know if you're if you're uh, in a work environment, take a look around the, the boardrooms that you're in uh, and, and see if uh, the, the the individuals in that room reflect the diversity of, of the community that you live in. And if you don't, uh, there's likely work to be done. Now, when I came into City Hall, uh, one of my priorities was uh, ensuring that the city's workforce. Uh, and particularly our leadership, uh, reflected the diversity of our city. And I'm, I'm proud to have uh, the most diverse administration in the city's history, and we still have a lot of work to do. Um, so, again, it's, it's, it's figuring out what your role is, what your, uh, what your platform is, what your privilege is, and how you can use all of that uh, to, to, um, to fight back against uh, systemic racism and, and all, all, that, uh, all the ills of our society. This is certainly thrown, you know, this is, this is a flashpoint. It, it's, it's affecting the whole country country including this community it's it's an issue that that's ongoing but it's you know certainly raises up and down based 
on things that that fuel it. And of course, what happened to George Floyd and everything since then has has really brought it back to focus. So what kind of conversations were happening before this in an ongoing process and and how has it been affected, obviously, in what we've seen here in the last week or so? Well, again, we I, I've tried from the moment that I walked into this uh, into this building to um, to engage in conversations and to develop relationships um, that can help address these issues. Uh, again, I uh, when I did our national uh, police search, we had meetings throughout the community and we talked uh, to the community and listened and heard about. Um, we, we heard stories about people's experiences with law enforcement, um, a number, you know, many of which that were not positive, and we used that to inform our uh, our decision making. Um, you know, since Chief Buckner has come in, we've 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 continued those community dialogues. Uh, we've you know we've stood in the middle of gymnasiums and 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 heard uh, tragic stories from uh, from people that have had negative experiences with law enforcement. And so it's 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 listening, uh, it's developing relationships. And then it's uh, intent is is half the battle, but then you have to back that up with actions. We've you know we've revised our use of force policy. Uh, we've tried to increase our recruiting in, in diverse communities. So um, it's it's an ongoing process, and it needs to continue long after uh, the protests uh, are done. And I, I, as I say that, I, I'm watching the protest. Uh, walk down State Street. So um, people are uh, clearly still uh, hurting and still in pain, and, uh, and and we need to address the issues that are causing that pain. And as we speak, people exercising those First Amendment rights, hopefully we'll do it safely and the right way uh, here in, in the city today. Uh, on another note, Mr. Mayor, it's amazing to say, oh, yeah, that coronavirus thing. Yeah. But getting back to business, where are we at here on June 1st of the city starting to come back to life uh, where we're at with with testing, where we're at just handling coronavirus, and, and where we go from here. Yeah, we. I, I think you're seeing uh, increasing signs of life uh, around the community. This has been an extremely difficult time for everyone, and I think again, going back to the, the previous topic, that's why uh, it was going to be upsetting and painful, regardless. Uh, but but I think everyone is just the, the the emotions are particularly raw, given what we've been through in recent months. But you know, from the beginning, uh, you know. Uh, along with County Executive McMahon, we've made it a point to uh, allow the data to drive our decisions and to ensure that uh, people's health and safety is the top priority in the decisions that we make. Uh, I think that that has led to good outcomes for us. Um, going forward, you know, uh, we need to continue to um, to allow that, but we also need to understand that as long as we don't have a vaccine uh, for for the virus, we're going to have to figure out how to live with it, and that's and that's what you're seeing in this reopening process. Uh, nobody's ever done it before. To, to use a sports reference, there's no playbook here. Uh, and, and that has led to some frustration, certainly among public officials, but but also with the community, with business owners. But I do think the New York State, by and large, has done a good job. Um, and I think locally, we've done a good job. Uh, we, we entered into phase two, uh, and that was a bumpy road to get there last uh, at the end of last week. Um, but heading into phase three, uh, if the numbers hold up over the next couple weeks, and I am, I am concerned about how this weekend's events may have impacted that because there are there were a lot of people gathering um, but if if the data stays um, um, stays on track then you know the next phase we're talking about um, you know restaurants and and actually being able to not in the same way we used to but sit down at a restaurant and have a meal and boy wouldn't that feel normal um, so uh, it's an ongoing process but uh, again I think we've got um, alignment and leadership uh, we're learning as we go um, but but uh, we're making progress 
Well, Mr. Mayor, thank you for your time today in addressing these issues. Uh, tell us what we can do. Uh, I know you'll be communicating with the community going forward here, and uh, I wish you luck with everything that you're dealing with here uh, in the city. It's it's a lot, but I know that uh, you'll do the best you can, and, and we'll be in touch with the community on how we can help you do it as well. Uh, thanks for your time today. I know we'll do it again soon, but uh, appreciate your insight. Thanks, Brent. Take care. Thank you, sir. That's uh, Mayor Ben Walsh. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Great to have you here. All right, so I mentioned it before the break. We're going to do our top six uh, Syracuse sports villains here shortly, but I had to pull up the clip. So this is from a kind of a short uh, mini doc, I guess you would call it, that we did for Syracuse.com a couple years ago. It's called 1987 Syracuse Football Stories from an Undefeated Season. You can... Look that up on YouTube and watch that. Would appreciate it. We put a lot of hard work into it. Won a couple of awards for it as well. And it's a pretty cool story if you want to walk down memory lane a little bit. So let me just play a part of this as Syracuse got ready for that Sugar Bowl against Pat Dye and Auburn in 19, it was January 1st, 1988, but off the 87 season. Here it is. The Auburn defense was the best defense we saw by far that season. And they were bigger than us, they were faster than us, um, but they weren't better than us. Syracuse and Auburn battled into the fourth quarter, facing fourth and inches at the Auburn 22, and the game tied at 13. Coach McPherson faced a decision. We were in field goal range, and I'll never forget, never, looking over on the sidelines, there's Donnie Mack looking over to my left, and there comes Todd Philcox, who's our holder at the time, and Tim Vessling. He had a kickoff at kicking tee for PATs at that point. Came jogging on the field, and we as an offensive unit, no, get back, we can, we'll get this. We'll, let us go for it, let us go for it. We'll, we'll get this, we'll score a touchdown, we'll kick a field goal, run the clock out. There's a minute something left at that point. And Max like, no, Jesus, and they, we end up coming on, kicking the field goal. Trailing 16-13, Auburn drove up the field and was in position to win with four seconds to go. That's when Auburn coach Pat Dye did the unthinkable. He settled for a tie, sending place kicker Win Lyle on the field for a 30-yard field goal. The 1988 Sugar Bowl ended 16-16. So I'm coming across the field, we're all like, kind of in shock, frankly. And all of a sudden, start jogging. Mac gets into the middle of the field. Stop, stop, get back to the locker room. No, get your ass back to the locker room. Don't even shake hands. So we're like, okay. So we, we went in, it was, it was the, the tone of the locker room was like, we, we lost. When I say Pat Dye, comes to your mind? Fear, scaredy cat. Um, um, what Coach Baker is like kissing your sister. A tie. When I think about when I think about Pat Dye and his decision, he was saving a lot of face in, in, in that football game because to lose to a Syracuse team uh, in the Sugar Bowl would not have would not have looked good for Pat Dye. And so um, that's what that I believe that's what that was saving a lot of face. That's uh, Don McPherson right there. You also heard uh, the voice of Blake Bednar's in there, and. You also heard the voice of Jeff Mangrum in there. Yeah, that's what it meant to those guys. Anytime I said Pat Dye, 
just see their eyes light up. So what do you say we do our top six list presented by Burdick Toyota? They are open for in-person car sales. Make your appointment today. Service department open as well for all your needs. The efficient Corolla, the sheer power and towing capacity of the Toyota Tundra, whatever it is you're looking for. Our friends at Burdick Toyota are ready to help you and make it a safe and sanitary experience. Number six. I'm going to go Coach K. I think in just this six, seven short years that Syracuse has been in the ACC, Duke has become a rival. Duke has become a villain, if you will, and nobody represents Duke, particularly in the one-and-done era with players coming and going so fast more than Coach K. Number five. Patrick Ewing. Now, you know Georgetown's going to make the list. I would uh, assure you they're going to again. All the players that have come through, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson, go through the rivalry up to even recent years. For Patrick Ewing to be the centerpiece of it, when the Big East rivalry between Syracuse and Georgetown was at its peak, then to circle around and for him to coach that team again in kind of Syracuse-Georgetown 2.0, you knew he'd make the list, but he almost makes the list twice. Number four. Here's where I'm going to put Pat Dye, because it's one game, it's one situation, it will just be ingrained in Syracuse fans forever that he did that, and we certainly uh, wish the best to his family. He did die as a result of COVID-19, by the way. And what he did for Auburn football is certainly uh, respected and appreciated there, but Syracuse fans are always going to hear that name in a different vein. But we certainly wish the best to, to his friends and family at this time. Number three. Jim Calhoun. Right. All the players, all the names, Rip Hamilton and all those players that came through UConn, Ray Allen and the crew, but it was always Calhoun. It was always that rivalry, Bayheim and Calhoun. It was kind of that second big rivalry to carry out of the Big East, and obviously St. Bonaventure was Syracuse's rival before that, but it depends on what generation. It depends on who you ask in a way. Some will say UConn was a bigger rivalry and a better rivalry. I'll never believe that, but it certainly has its place, and Calhoun was the center of it. Number two. Keith Smart. Say no more. Number one. John Thompson. Say no more, right? Like, listen, there is no way in any sport, by the way, and I know that Joe Paterno through the years, Syracuse, Penn State, and what he did, and you know what should probably make this list? So we'll we'll give Joe Paterno kind of a, how can I put this? We'll just shove him in here somewhere. How about in almost a tie with John Thompson in a way? And again, it depends on a certain generation. And Paterno, there's a whole story about basketball wanting to join the Big East and how he kind of ruined that and, and the whole thing, which we don't have time to get into now. But in no sport does anybody match the intensity, the villain-like figure, Syracuse-Georgetown, the intensity and height of that rivalry than John Thompson getting thrown out of the carrier dome, the three technical fouls, the towel, the verbal exchanges with Bayheim. They became friends, certainly, but the intensity of, of when they coached, and, I mean, you couldn't have picked a better villain. Every great hero movie, every great superhero movie has a villain. John Thompson was our villain, will probably always be our villain, and the bedtime stories you hear from people of an older generation, that is it. It's for people that didn't live through Syracuse, Penn State, and football, that's the name, but if you can't relate to it, you didn't live through it, and I'm kind of that old guy now. People of a certain generation that didn't sit in that dome, didn't experience Syracuse, Georgetown at its height. It's the names that made it. Bayheim, Pearl, 
Derek Coleman, Billy Owens, all the names, all the players, but John Thompson made that rivalry. Played it up, loved to egg on Syracuse fans, and forever people will just kind of grit their teeth when they hear that name. So John Thompson, Joe Paterno, Keith Smart, Pat Dye, Jim Calhoun, Patrick Ewing, Coach K. Who'd we miss? You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there.